Uh, good morning, Creekside. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm like thrilled to be here because I've had to be gone. I was down in Mexico, which was amazing, but it's not here, and you guys are my favorite, so I'm glad to be back. Um, I'm happy, and uh, it's Christmas. I don't know. I love it. I'm, I'm excited to be doing this. We're, we're going through our Advent series, and um, it, this Advent, what we're looking at, all the, all the same uh, thematic things that we do every Advent, uh, we, we looked at uh, hope, and then last week we looked at the concept of peace, and this week we're, we're talking about joy. Um, but our, our kind of framing uh, picture with all of that is that we're living in the in-between. Um, so there's this reality that we experienced with Jesus, that the original disciples and people got to experience with Jesus, then Jesus has uh, left, and he's with the Father, and he's still with us, but he's not physically with us, and we're waiting for that time that he comes back to live with us again, fixes everything, makes everything right. And so in the meantime, we're in this in-between phase of Things are good, but things aren't that good. You know what I'm saying? So that's like where we're living in the in-between. And so we're talking about um, what does it look like to have hope or peace or joy when we're in this in-between time? I want to start by uh, looking at the, the traditional Christmas story um, in Luke chapter 2. And here's uh, the angels are sent to the shepherds. And so the shepherds are out in their field. Jesus has just been born um, in a stable. Uh, and here the shepherds come, and in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2, it says that in the same region there were shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Then the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lay, lying in a manger. So beautiful uh, announcement from the, the uh, angels to the shepherds. Like really incredible stuff where they've just been waiting for God to come, waiting for God to work. And here finally the angel comes and announces. And what the angel announces is, um, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, when I read that, I think um, this should be the end of the Bible, right? Like, like we've been waiting, like the, the world fell apart in Genesis 3. If it, was, if it was me calling the shots, I probably would have wrapped the whole thing up in Genesis 4, right? Like we sin against God, and then God comes and kind of reprimands us, but gets us on the right track, and that's it. We'd have a very short Bible if I was in charge of the whole thing, um, as if I would know what to do. Anyways, all, all I'm trying to say is my storytelling is way less cool than God's, and here, though, we, we wait. God's people wait. They're in exile. They're, um, they're oppressed, and they're just waiting for God to work. And here is the announcement that there is good news of great joy for everybody. What, what have we always as human beings been longing for on this earth than good news of great joy for all people? Like, what more could we possibly want than for all of us on earth to be filled with joy? That's what we're longing for, hoping for. So this should be, could be the end. And I think the angels saying it because actually this is the answer. Jesus being born, this little baby being born in a stable is the answer to everything that we've always been looking for. It's the promise of great joy. The problem, uh, if I was going to write the story, we'd probably end in Luke chapter 3 because the problem is what we see is that we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and Jesus came, but we, they had to wait another like 20, 30 years for Jesus to grow up and start his ministry, so there's still all this turmoil then. Then even when Jesus comes and he's embodying this gr good news of great joy for all the people, there's some people that are accepting that, and there's other people that are rejecting that. Mixed reception to what Jesus is doing on earth. Meanwhile, Israel is still living under occupation from the uh, Roman uh, people. There's 
the death of Jesus eventually. So the story just doesn't keep getting better. Jesus does rise, but then he goes to be with the Father. And in the meantime, we have these last couple thousand years where things have been uh, good in some ways and pretty rough in other ways, right? So the world we see is still broken. And there is good news of great joy for all the people, but we're not seeing everybody joyful all the time. The world is still pretty broken. So when I read this and we talk at Christmas about things like hope and peace and joy that come with Jesus, um, this is a moment, this year in particular, when we're talking about that in-between time where I think we have to be careful to not frame these things in a hallmark sort of a way. Okay, if this was a hallmark movie, things would be rough, but only like a little bit rough, and then they would be just solved so beautifully at the end, so beautifully, in fact, that you'd want to go out and buy cards to send uh, to all your friends and family. So that's not how God tends to work in the world. That's why this book is so long, is because he doesn't tend to work by just fixing our problems instantly. And that is uh, endlessly frustrating, and yet I would say, because of who God is, and because of how his plan works, it's also endlessly beautiful. And he invites us into more and more of himself and this story and this thing. So we're going to look at what does it mean to find this good news of great joy for all people in the in-between. To do that, I want to jump into another gospel. This is in the gospel of John. We're going to spend the rest of the morning here in John chapter 16. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 16. And in this section, Jesus is about to be betrayed. He's about to be crucified. But he spends this evening with his disciples talking through. And here he specifically talks about this in-between time that they're going to experience. And he brings in the concept of joy. So it's perfect for what we're doing this morning. Here's how Jesus... Um, sets this up. He says to his disciples, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were asking, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Now I think this might be the, one of the most profound questions the disciples ever asked. Like, Okay, Jesus is saying a little while, but like, hey, what do you mean by a little while, okay? That's a great question to ask because I think he has two things in mind. I think there's an intentional ambiguity, and he's saying, okay, look, a little while, you won't see me, and then again a little while, and then you will see me, right? So you can imagine where the disciples are sitting. They're about to have a little while where they don't see Jesus because he's going to be crucified. He's going to go into the tomb, and then a little while, three days later, he's going to be raised again. So that's, that's a I mean, I think sometimes a few days feels long, but that's a little while, okay? But I think there's also this other intentionality that Jesus is putting into this. Um, and you can see more of it in this um, upper room discourse here that they're talking about, where Jesus is also talking about the, the little while that is the last 2,000 years, right? A little while, you won't see me because I'm going to go to the Father. You won't see me for a little while. Um, and then a little while, and you'll see me again. I'll come back again. So we're, we're waiting. We're in this Advent period. They waited for the coming of God into the world to fix everything, and they experienced him in Jesus, but now we're in this spot again where we're, okay, we're waiting. God, come back and fix um, everything that's wrong with our worlds, everything that's wrong with my heart. And so um, Jesus is teaching us that this, this messed up time that we live in right now is a little while. It's this in-between time that we live in. So I've already said this, but if it was me, um, I would say, let's just skip the little while. You know what I'm saying? Like the last couple thousand years don't need to go like they're going. We don't need to experience all the rough stuff. Let's just get on with fixing it and let's just move forward. So what could possibly be good about this? Because here's, here's the reality. On the one hand, I'm, I'm kind of being a little facetious and, and there's the storytelling side of it. 
On the other hand, like, because God has taken so long to do what he's doing, right, between Genesis 3 and between the arrival of Jesus, and now between, like, the resurrection of Jesus and where we are today and and however much time we have left until he returns again, in that meantime, it's not just inconvenient, right? It's actually, like, painful. It's actually, like, spiritually devastating in a lot of ways. So think of, like, the evils that the world has experienced over the last couple thousand years, Ways that human beings hurt each other. Ways that there's, there's genocides in there. There's horrible things that have happened in the world as we wait for Jesus to come and set the world to right. So we ask, like, why, Lord? Why are you taking so long to come back? We think of our own lives and the, the pains that we feel, the pains that could be fixed if Jesus would just hurry up and get this over with. Give us that full joy right now, Lord. We could get, get along without, think of our relationships, the joy that you get from the relationships that are in your life, how amazing those can be, but on the other side, how painful those can be. When someone that you love betrays you, or you betray someone that you love, or you just simply lose somebody that you love. Like that, the, the pain of our relationships is so huge. There's huge pain that comes with our careers when we lose a job or our job changes on us or whatever. Those things are so painful. There's illness that we experience, both the inconvenience of like the flu, and then there's the big diagnoses that that many people in our church family have where it's just, this is hard, this is impossible, this is difficult. There's abuse in the world around us. There's societal evils that we deal with. And so when we're saying, Lord, come back quickly, it's saying, Lord, get rid of these big, massive unjust things that we experience, these things that, like, we can't handle. They're too big for us. How, like, if you, if your point, God, is to bring us good news of great joy, then why are we not experiencing more of that joy right now? I think that's my real question with all this. So one thing I think of when I think of this is I think of um, the consumeristic society that we live in, and it's really on full display around Christmas time. We're, we're, um, it's all fine-tuned to fix the brokenness of our hearts, right? You have a pain, you have a problem. There's literally many, many, probably millions of things you could buy to address that pain in your life. And most of it, a lot of it, makes you feel better when you, when you buy. Like, there's a reason why we're so consumeristic. It works because we feel great initially, right? Doesn't last that long, um, but it does feel good. The, uh, consumerism is fine-tuned to fix our bored hearts, right? We go through life, we feel bored. It's like, okay, I've got a solution. There's a thing that you can literally buy, and it will make you feel better. There's also things like alcohol and drugs that, like, when we take the, like, these things in the wrong ways, it becomes, like, um, prevalent in our society. It becomes addictive, and the reason why is because we have these longings and these needs and these brokenness, and this is the quick fix to it. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, the quick fix isn't always the good fix, right? It, it is, can so often just add layers and layers and depth to the pain and the suffering that we feel. So in the midst of all that, it makes me think, why, God, do you not just satisfy everything right away? Why not just fix it all now? I, th- I believe we're probably heading into a world like that. When Jesus comes back again, recreates it, every indication that we get in Scripture is, no more tears, no more evil, no more sorrow or crying. We're just with the Lord. It's going to be amazing. But in the meantime, we have things like hunger. And hunger, I, I was thinking about this this week and talking about this idea of um, a little while and what it means to wait and everything else. Hunger often feels to me like a bad thing, right? Like I, I you know, you get hungry. It's like, okay, I'm going to eat something right away. It is possible to go an entire day, maybe an entire life, I don't know, but an entire day, and most of us are going to do this at Christmas, 
go an entire day without feeling hunger at all, right? The, the, the cookies are there and the food is there. Everything's there. So you could just literally keep eating all day long and never feel hunger the entire day. Like, I'm going to do it. You're probably going to do it. Like, that's how we work on certain days. But, like, that's not great for us, right? It's not great for us to just keep filling yourself and not feel. I think the hunger that we feel is an appropriate sense of, okay, I just had this meal. Um, I'm giving my body a chance to like address it, process it, like do what it needs to with that meal. And then when you start to begin to feel that hunger again, it's like your body's preparing for the next meal. And you can appreciate the next, like, you know, when, when we've been not eating healthy and you've just been eating stuff all day, when it comes mealtime, you're not like excited about it. You're like, I guess I could eat, you know, like you just go and you lose the enjoyment. So there's something about the, the hunger and hunger is just a longing. There's something about the longing where you're, you're missing something, you're going without for time because you know there's something good, there's something better, there's a rhythm, there's a, um, a healthy cycle involved in all that. And so hunger, I think, is this way of longing for something special that's coming ahead. I think Christmas is the same way. When I was a kid, it's like, why can't we do Christmas all the time, you know? Like, if every day was Christmas, though, um, you lose the specialness of the gift giving. If you got a gift every day of your life, then there's no specialness to what we do at Christmas. There's no, um, you lose the celebration with your family that comes if you try to do it every single day. You lose the meaning of Christmas as we're waiting for Jesus. So something like Christmas is special because it's rare, right? Because we have to wait for it and we look ahead for it. So sometimes I think we just want, like, no longing, all um, satisfaction. But I think we become different people when we wait for something good. When we look ahead, when we're, when we're forced to kind of step back and say, okay, there's something that I want or long for right now that I'm not experiencing. I think so much of the way that Jesus' joy works is he builds this joy um, on a foundation. And I think that foundation looks like things like contentment. Contentment means, like, I can be okay even when things are not okay. I think that's what contentment looks like. So um, not everything is okay around me, but I'm okay. I'm, I, deep down, I'm content. I can be happy with what I have instead of just um, devastated by what I don't have. You could look at um, the foundation that I think Jesus builds joy on of uh, like a realignment of seeing some of the things that we think that we need, that, that we think are valuable, aren't actually as valuable as we think. So um, I think realignment with the heart of God helps us see what matters and what doesn't matter, what's valuable and what's not valuable. I think we all have times where it's like, man, I really, like, when we were kids, we wanted stuff so badly that, like, looking back on, you're like, man, I can't believe it, but my parents were actually right. That was, like, a, a, a garbage thing that I wanted, but I really felt like I needed it. I, 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 this came full circle to me um, when I was a kid. I, like, really wanted a pair of Vans. It was, like, time, it was, like, that one time every couple of years where I got new shoes, and I really wanted a pair of Vans, and it was, like, super, I was excited for it, but my parents were, like, no, these are, these are garbage shoes. They're glued together. They're going to fall apart on you. You need to get these ugly, sturdy ones, you know, and it was, like, no, and uh, we just had an incident with our daughter where her Vans came unglued, and I'm, like, yeah, see, they're just not very good shoes. You know, they just fall apart, and I'm, like, who have I become, you know? I've become the villain in my own story somehow. <clears throat> but it's, it's that perspective of like the things that we, we are so confident that this is the way it has to be. This is where I will be happy. This is what I need in my life. Like so often we find, oh, I was so blind or tunnel visioned in that and I'm, I'm wrong. There's better things out there. There's bigger picture things that are better for us. I think also Jesus' joy, the foundation that, the, that Jesus' kind of joy is built on, is also a foundation of hope and recognizing that I'm not going to be the one that 
sets all the things around me right. Like, I'm not going to be the one to fix everything, but there is someone outside of me who can fix it all. That's what the hope of Jesus looks like. So if we're, if we're in that, that space of contentment and learning to um, be okay when things aren't okay, uh, of realign our, realigning ourselves with what matters and what doesn't, and of just that hope of, like, looking for what Jesus will do, I think there's this sense in which joy can be built on that kind of foundation. The waiting itself, like as we, as we say, okay, God, there's so much that's broken, and there's this good news of great joy for all people. We've been promised this, but we're not seeing all of it yet. The, the waiting, what it does, I think, is it helps us to become better attuned to the heart of God, better attuned to what he wants for us and for his world. Um, it helps us to, like, become deeper people because we see that, man, there's, like, even when we're hurting, there's something deeper and more powerful and more mysterious happening all around us. So this is, this is what Jesus will say. He's setting it up like this. Man, there's this little while you'll, you'll see me, or you won't see me, and then a little while you'll see me again. Um, here's how he goes on to explain how this works. Verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this, what, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Now, there's a little note of hope at the end of that, but most of that sentence is pretty depressing if you, um, if you just take it at face value. He says, Jesus, this is like a quote from Jesus, inspirational quote you can put on a, a poster or something. You will weep and lament, okay? Jesus promises to you, you will weep and you will lament while the world rejoices around you, okay? So just picture it. This is what Jesus is saying is going to happen in your life. Everyone in the world is going to have their party hats on, and you're just going to be sitting there in tears, devastated, okay? So Jesus' words, not mine. It's not very encouraging. But he's saying, when we live here in the in-between, in the broken world, there's going to be times that you're lamenting. There's going to be times where you're weeping. And he's saying, that's just what life is going to be. This is how it works. Um, so often, our religious subculture, it's like encourage us to just... Pretend like we're not lamenting. Pretend that everything's okay. Everything should be fine in your life. If you're experiencing bad stuff in your life, probably you're doing something wrong and you don't have enough faith. We hear that message all the time because I think the evil empire of Hallmark has crept into the church and uh, especially when we used to have the Christian bookstores, indistinguishable from a uh, Hallmark store for sure. And the whole thing is just meant to get us to like, you should be happy all the time. And if you're not, buy this card from someone and you'll both be really happy, you know? So... But Jesus is sitting here saying, like, no, reset your expectation. It's, it's not meant to be happy all the time. You're going to have seasons of, of incline where things are great, and you're going to have seasons of decline where things are falling apart. And he's saying that's just going to be what you experience in life. So when you experience good things and blessing, does that mean that God is with you and he's working? I think absolutely. I think God blesses us, and he gives us good things, and he works but when you experience that downtime, the time of decline, the time when relationships are falling apart, the times when you're struggling, when, when you're so frustrated with yourself, does that mean that God is not present and God is not working? I think what we have to say is no. It does not mean that God is not working because if we could attune ourselves to the heart of God, if we could see like the way that God sees, if we could get some perspective in the waiting and in, in between, we'd see that God is always working, and he's with us in both kinds of times, in the good times and the hard times. And actually, I believe the point of this whole thing is there's joy, great joy, available to us even when it feels externally like everything is going wrong. So Jesus guarantees us that we're going to have things to lament. 
Um, and I think the reality is, is like even if, even if the world around us was perfect and circumstantially we're like, man, everything in my life is falling into place. This is incredible. We wouldn't have to wait very long until we start disappointing ourselves. Like we know how broken we ourselves are. And so even just our own selves, we get plenty of reason to lament. And I think Jesus is saying like, it's going to be okay for you to lament these things. There's going to be times to shed the tears. It doesn't mean that I'm not working, and it doesn't mean that there's not joy available to you. Um, one of the first verses I learned as a Christian in the, in the church was John 11.35. Can anyone quote John 11.35 for me? Jesus wept, okay? So that's, that's why I memorized it first. It's the shortest verse in the entire Bible. Jesus wept. It's Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, and Lazarus has died. Jesus is literally just about to go and be like, hey, be alive again, Lazarus. So Jesus knows what he's about to do, but he steps into that situation, and he sees everybody mourning for this person that they love that died, and Jesus steps into that knowing it's all going to be fine in just a minute, but Jesus still in that moment, he resonates with the, the tragedy and the lament and the sorrow of it. And Jesus himself weeps at the death of someone. Just, I, I love that beautiful picture of even Jesus knowing everything's going to be fine in just a minute. He sits there in the grief and he allows himself um, to weep with everybody else. And yet our Christian subculture is like, no, we got to always be fine. I think we got to be careful always. Don't be more Christ-like than Christ himself, right? If he wept, it's not being more Christ-like to not weep when things are hard. So there's this, um, Jesus doesn't trivialize our human experiences. He enters into them with us. And so he's saying, hey, there are, you are going to weep and lament. But thankfully the verse doesn't end there, right? What does he say at the end? You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Your sorrow will turn into joy. I, he is not saying, um, you'll be sorrowful, but don't worry. I'm going to orchestrate things in such a way that the sorrow will come to an end, and then you'll be able to discover joy. Jesus isn't saying that here. I'm, I'm pretty sure that what this is getting at is not that um, joy is going to eventually replace sorrow. The way he says it is your sorrow will turn into joy. The word like turn into is the same word he uses in the next sentence for a child being born. It means to like bring into the world. It means to give birth to. So your sorrow is going to give birth to joy. Like that is showing sorrow somehow in God's mysterious power is going to take our sorrow and he's going to mold it into something different so that it becomes the joy that we experience. So much of our lives, I think, are spent on trying to get past the sorrow, stop the sources of the sorrow, so that we can then be happy. Because if we can get rid of these things that are hard, then we can finally be happy. But I think Jesus is telling us, like, yeah, the world's going to be tough. It's going to be sorrow. But your sorrow is going to be the thing that gives birth to joy that you yourself get to experience. So, Perhaps an example is helpful. I was thinking about this a couple weeks ago. I was down in Mexico for a week. And Mexico is amazing for me because of the missions partners that we're going to. I mean, that and the tacos, of course. Um, but the missions partners are, like, so if, if we, they, they care for these, like, discarded um, elderly people. That's, like, what these couple of ministries we're partnering with do. They're just pastors that are doing that so well. In the States, the way we do it is we say, okay, there's a, there's a need in the community. I think it's there. We develop a game plan. We talk to people about it. We cast a vision for it. We raise money. We build the facilities. And then we start saying, okay, now who can we actually care for now that we've got everything together? What I love about these pastors in Mexico is they're just sitting there. And, um, and this first one, this woman, Angelica, and her husband, Nicholas, 
they, um, they get a knock on the door, and there's an elderly person that just needs food. And so she feeds them, right? And then they go tell other people that they like, hey, there's some food at this lady's house. And so before long, she's got five-gallon buckets turned upside down around her kitchen table because she's feeding all these elderly people. And it just expands into like, hey, we love uh, Jesus, and so we love these people, and we're caring for them. And so our missions partners down there are helping us connect to pastors like this that are simply just doing the work of caring for people. And we get to say, how can we help support them in the good thing that we're doing? It's incredible. But when you go to Mexico, it almost always, when you're doing it mission trip style like this, it almost always is super uncomfortable. Um, you're not sleeping in ideal conditions typically. Um, it is, you're tired and exhausted. Um, you're heartbroken over a lot of the poverty that you see. It's hard to see um, elderly people that have just been discarded by their, by their families, or maybe they don't have any family. It's really tough to see that. Um, there's the language barrier that's really frustrating if you're like me when you go down there. And so it's this, it's this place of like, pain and discomfort, and it's difficult, but then in the midst of that, you look around and you see, man, the love of God is here, right? Jesus has made a difference to these pastors, and so these pastors are making a difference to these people that have been discarded, and that is so beautiful to see. I remember the first time, I'm like, we're so ingrained with consumerism. The first time I ever went to Mexico, I was in high school, and you go and you're like, oh my goodness, like these, some of these areas in this country are so poor, and you sit there and you're like, my, they must be so sad, right? But it doesn't take long until you get to know the people, and you're like, Oh my goodness, they're so happy. They're like, they're happier than we are. Maybe there's a lie to the fact that I've always been told that you have to have money to be happy. And so I guess what I'm saying is I think for these, for these pastors, they found this intense joy in sharing the love of Jesus with people, um, not because they got rid of the sorrowful things, but because their sorrow, like the, the, the heartbreak, the compassion they feel for these people that are hurting and left aside, their compassion leads them into a relationship with these people, and it becomes this deep-seated joy that they experience with each other. Like you go and you just see how much these abuelos love the pastors and vice versa, and you're like, okay, it was their sorrow. It was their compassion that led them to have a heart for these people that were hurting, that led them to give of themselves, like they, like literally feeding them their own food and so lowering their standing um, in order to serve them. And in that, they found this incredible joy that is deep-seated. And as, joy, as Jesus says, no one will take your joy from you. That is not a joy that situations, circumstances can change. So Jesus uses this example um, to, to elucidate it further. So verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So Jesus is saying, look, the Christian life is exactly like a woman giving birth to a child. I don't know uh, how much scarier I could make the Christian life sound to a man than to say, like, it's exactly like giving birth. You thought it was just your wife. You're going to have to go through this too. Um, but the whole thing is that, like, labor brings forth life, right? That's the whole point of labor. It's intense. There's no other way to get babies than, like, than, than somebody um, giving birth, going through that painful labor experience, and then, a, then the baby is born in this whole thing. So Jesus is, again, I think intentionally using a difficult analogy for what the Christian life looks like. I don't know what there is in the Bible that makes us think that our life should be easy and happy all the time. Nothing in our experience should make us think that that's how life is meant to be. And Jesus is saying, like, nope, it's not going to be easy. But if you weigh on the one side the pain of childbirth, and you weigh on the other side the joy of a child, Jesus is saying, now, look, you, you never, um, those of you that are still in your childbirthing years, never say to your spouse, um, 
well, it's just labor pains. Like, it's going to be gone in a little while, you know? Like, um, so this isn't the verse to read at that moment. I've got other ones I could recommend. Um, <clears throat> but every, any mom will tell you horror stories about giving birth and how intense that is. But on the other hand, compare that to the entire life that this child's going to live and all the joys and all the Christmases and all the amazing things that come on this side. And I think Jesus is saying, yeah, there's this little while that's tricky, but there's so much that's good and beautiful in the midst of it. And it is the sorrow. It's the pain that gives birth to uh, the good and the beautiful. So what is being born? What's being um, given birth here? I think it's the new world that God's creating. It's the new life that Jesus provides to us. In the midst of this old broken world, there's this new life that's being born, and he uses us in his wisdom to do that. I also think that what's being born here is, is just a joy over everything that God's doing. The more we can recognize that God is working in the world, there's this joy that springs up and is born in us. In a lot of it we can see right now. We could go around and we could take stock of like, man, what has God been doing? How is it bringing you joy? And we could all come up with a lot of things where it's like, man, there's joy here. But I'm telling you that we won't see um, even a fraction of it now. We'll see it all later. When Jesus comes back, set the world to right, we're going to see how it all fits together. And we're going to be like, that is incredible. So Jesus, in, um, in this whole thing, is just saying, look, um, I want to put it in perspective. I'll just, I'll, this, this, pain, this period of pain is a little while, and there's this joy that's coming. And I believe, like his goal that he says is, um, your hearts are going to rejoice. No one is going to take that joy from you. And he's going to say, the point of it all is, there's this full joy that we're going to experience. So last couple of verses that we're going to look at this morning. This is how Jesus wraps this little section up. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Here's what I think he's looking at. He's saying, there's going to be a a little while that I'm gone, 2,000 years plus. And then there's going to be a little while later, and I'll be back again. And in that day, when I come back, you're not going to ask me for anything because you'll have everything, right? I'll be with you. I'll meet every need. So there's no needs or pains or anything in the future. So in that day, you're not going to ask anything of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive. Why? So that your joy may be full. Jesus is saying, even in this in-between time, his idea for us, his goal for us, is that our joy would be full. So good news of great joy. I think he's he's putting it back on the table again. You're about to go through some really hard stuff, and there's going to be a couple thousand of pretty rough years, but even then, I want you to ask me for help because uh, my goal, my desire, is that your joy would be full in the midst of us. He's calling us, I think, to talk to God about what we need to recognize that we're, we're in good hands. We're in the hands of a God that loves us and helps us. And we, and we so often think we know better um, than, than what we're, you know, what I'm receiving isn't that good. I need something better than this. Um, but so often we're just clueless to like what, what it actually takes to get where we need to go. I asked my daughters, I'm like, I, I know there's some good examples of what this looks like. Times that we're certain that, like, this is the way to do it, and it has to work out this way, and if not, like, and they're like, oh, that's like when Doc Hudson uh, talked to Lightning McQueen about driving on the dirt track, if you guys remember the movie Cars, this is all comes to that, and he's, uh, uh, Lightning McQueen keeps driving off in the dirt because he's trying to turn left to go left on the track, but he skids out, but on a dirt track, Doc Hudson teaches them, you have to turn right in order to go left. And it's the craziest thing to Lightning McQueen until he tries it. And he's like, oh, turning right can help you go left in certain times. It's a kid's movie, but it's profound. Um, I think it's so much like that in our lives, right? Where, where it's, like, um, it's like, man, I'm, I'm so certain that this job is the thing that I need. I'm so certain that my kid doing this thing at this stage is the thing that I need. I'm so certain that, like, and everything that we're so certain of, like, I just... 
if we're in good hands, if we're in God's hands and we're asking him to help us, then, then to trust that, okay, I don't, it's not my plan that's going to save us. It's the hands of the God who's holding me that I can trust to say, okay, he is going to get me where I need to go. And I, yep, if I was writing the Bible, it'd be a lot shorter and a lot neater and tidier, but it would be so much weaker than what we have. The story that God is writing is so much better because my mind is tiny and I don't know what I need. And I don't know what any of you need. Like if I could, if I could be a loving parent to all of you and just fix your stories real quick, like I'd love to try to fix my daughter's problems, but it's always way more complex than that. And so this full joy that we receive from God is available to us. He's literally saying, ask, you'll receive. I want your joy to be made full. It's, I guarantee you, I promise you, it's not going to look like what you think. Um, but here, here's the picture that I'm kind of like um, have in my mind when I picture the joy that Jesus offers. It's a picture of like a lake in the mountains, okay? And in this lake, you don't, you don't see rivers coming down into it and feeding it, filling it up, right? It's one thing you can see the external rivers filling in some lakes. You're like, okay, that's where the water comes from. That's where it comes. But a mountain lake, there's no streams coming into it, but it's being filled by a, a, a spring underneath it that you can't see. So it's mysterious, but it's still full in that. And I picture that like life, man. Sometimes there's all the streams coming in, right? I'm, I'm happy because my job's going well, and, you know, I just won the lottery or something. Like, I don't know, the circumstances are great. So it's like, okay, no wonder that guy's happy. Like, all these great things are happening. But it's when there's no obvious source of, like, why would that person be happy um, it's because there's this mysterious spring that just fills us up with his joy. And that joy, Jesus says, can't be taken from us. It sits there in circumstances, will fall apart all around us. But there's something that, that, that doesn't mean we don't mourn. It doesn't mean that we're not uh, troubled or sad or struggling. But there's this filling that happens. And um, I can't describe it perfectly, but I'm just saying, if you know, then you know that what it looks like for that joy to be there and to be present. And that joy of the Lord, um, Nehemiah 8.10 talks about how the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I think that is absolutely true as long as we call Hallmark liars and it's not how the world is meant to be, even though there's a side of us that really wants that. Um, it's deeper and it's more powerful and it's more profound and it's more transformative to us. We become a different kind of people when we wait for the Lord to act. When we say, okay, Lord, I, I'm struggling. This isn't what I want for myself, for my family, for, for the people around me. But Lord, I'm, I'm waiting and I'm watching. And the more we tune in to what God is doing, I believe, the more we see it's better. It's always going to be better than the silly story that I would write for myself. It's always deeper and more beautiful. So that's my encouragement to us as we head into the holidays. We've talked about hope. We've talked about peace. Now we've talked about joy. These things are ours in Christ. They are literally offered to us, but I promise you, none of them is going to look exactly like the happy version that we, in our naivete, want to achieve. But it is there, it's promised, it's there in Jesus, and I'm, I'm telling you, he is the source from which we're going to get these things. Um, and it usually doesn't come instantly. So let's be a prayerful people. Let's be a, a reflective people. Let's be a waiting people and ask, like Jesus tells us, ask and you'll receive. So let's ask him, Lord, help us to be a people of joy. Fill us up um, from that invisible spring underneath. We've been closing these um, times together with reflection questions. And, um, and our reflection for this morning is um, through Jesus' incarnation and the Holy Spirit's indwelling, we have access to God's joy in the midst of trouble. So the question is, where have you encountered this joy in recent days or weeks? Where do you need it now? So I'm just going to give us a quiet minute here just to sit, and I want you to literally 
um, ask the Lord that question. Where have I been encountering your joy? Where do I need your joy right now? And let's just let the Lord kind of speak to us about those things for a minute here. Lord, thank you so much that your joy finds us. Lord, I, I, um, I praise you. I thank you for, for the many of us in this room that we think, where have we experienced joy recently? And there's, there's a specific story to tell. Um, there's a moment to point to. There's a, a reality there where we're saying, yes, Lord, you've come through. Lord, thank you for that. You are so good. You're such a gentle, loving father, and you show us your love. You provide us with the joy and the strength that we need. Lord, I also pray for my brothers and sisters here who uh, look more at the second part of that and say, I, I don't know, but this is the area in which I need joy. And Lord, we take you seriously when you say to ask. So Lord, we ask, would you show joy to those members of our family here that are suffering? Christmas can be hard, Lord, and so I pray that you would um, be God with us in this situation. And Lord, with us specifically, with those members of our church family that are lonely, that are hurting, that are broken, that are at the end of themselves, Lord, would you meet each of us in that space? Fill us with joy, joy that goes beyond explanation, joy that goes beyond what anyone can steal from us, Lord. Would you provide that? Um, Lord, I thank you that you are the source of this joy. Would we experience it more and more? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.